Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 111. I am your host, Walter, and joining me today is Azeel. Hey everyone. Griffith. Yo. And Grail. Hi. All right, we're back. This was gonna be a big month for Berserk. Uh, because the Berserk, the big Berserk exhibition was scheduled to come, I think it was around now-ish it would be going on, right? End of the month was supposed to be. Uh, next week. But it got, de- right, in a, in a week, yeah. And it got de- delayed indefinitely, I believe. Um, no set date because of the coronavirus, which is which is a bummer. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah, I know. I was about to say, it's not like we didn't see this coming down the pike, you know, for a while now as a possibility. They should have, like, done it on, you know, volumes like, you know, 17 through 20 and had Conrad be a big part of it to, you know, lean Keep into the virus, <laughs> lean into yeah. the plague. But that's too bad because, you know, if there were no coronavirus globally, there is a very high chance that, you know, about a week from now, it wouldn't just be that the Berserk exhibition is happening, but like, I probably would have swung for some kind of like whoever could afford it, you know, you know, Berserk Skullnight.net kind of reunion or, you know, meetup kind of thing for the event. That could be happening right now if it weren't for this damn virus. Yeah, so. it's it's a lot of – it's sad because you can imagine so many people like taking off work and coming over to Japan. Yeah, I mean I even got a new passport uh, just for this thing. On the off, the off chance that it would be okay and that the U.S. numbers would have declined. Of course, neither of those things happened. And so it swung the other way. That's too bad. It's a shame. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that as the months go forward. I'm not really concerned about it never happening. I'm sure it'll happen uh, in, in a matter of months or whatever it happens to be. So it's just a delay. So it's a bummer. Um, the other thing is uh, – Duranki has been kind of missing in action for, boy, it's been close to a year now. I guess it's been May or so. But the reason I mentioned Duranki, like why do I mention Duranki on a Berserk show? Uh, because Berserk's been actually regular since around that time. And by regular, I mean uh, every three months. We've had a new episode every three months since April of last year. I saw someone point that out two releases in, and I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that tries to see patterns too seriously, but now it's been four releases, I think, sequentially. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if it happens again, that'll be five. Um, so that's nice. Well, it's that bad Berserk news is- if you're the one guy who likes Duranki better than Berserk. <laughs> exactly. Damn, my favorite <laughs> yeah, I series. guess the only. I, I kind of see some kind of connection there. The, the fact that if you're going to prioritize one series, it seems like Berserk has gotten the priority seat over Duranki uh, because they haven't seen anything for that since May of last year. So mm. that's too bad. But some movement's happening, at least, at Studio Gaga, which is nice. Uh, I think it's probably a little more complicated than that. Uh, I don't think they've dropped Duranki, so it must be a case of trying to get the assistance to get better while still pumping out Berserk once in a while, just so that you know people like us aren't pissed too much. But sure. uh, I would imagine that the ultimate goal is to have releases for Berserk like, uh, more often than just uh, once every three months. So we'll see how it goes. That'd be great, but has not been uh, so far for a while anyway. But it would be great if it was more than three or four releases in a year. Uh, yeah. but it seems like we're going to have to take what we can get for now. 
Right. Moving on. Are there any other berserk news items I might have skipped over? I haven't really paid attention to the any crowdfunding or items in the berserk exhibition stuff. Anything new on that front? Not really. I've added some more, but since it's been postponed, uh, it's not really worth talking about, I think. Okay, cool. Well, the main event then is, of course, episode 363, which is, um, boy, it's a, it's, there's a lot of different swings that happen in this episode, three different big scenes. And I'll just do a quick summary before we get right into it. But I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. Um, after the memory and the armor, the group visits the gravesite of the branded woman, who Danon calls the Lady Medium of the Cherry Blossom. Shirke mentions that Danon bears an unmistakable resemblance to the woman, and Ged says that Flora once served under her, but was she was exiled from the island because she violated a taboo. Meanwhile, Sidro is getting his revenge on the witches by attacking them from the forest where he has greater um, aerobatics, acrobatics. Isma intervenes with help from a Kelpie who swallows a Sidro. Later that night, Ged reflects, sorry, Guts reflects back to a conversation he had with Ged about the nature of his relationship with the Skull Knight. The episode ends as Guts sees the boy in the moonlight appear next to him with Casca off in the distance. So yeah, a lot of stuff happening in one episode. Um, what do you guys think? <laughs> well, pretty good. <laughs> where, where to begin? It's uh yeah, lots of stuff um, happens. I guess. Uh, how do we go about this? Do we start sequentially? I mean, obviously, no, we usually just give our general impressions. Yeah, I first. I think the biggest the biggest thing for me here would have to be uh, the grave and the scene between the Skull Knight and Danan. Uh, which I think says a they lot. They have an almost romantic moment. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, you can even remove the way it's the, framed. Yeah, you can remove the almost. Uh, to me, it's pretty clearly <laughs> hinting at. I mean, it's hinting at something. The way she looks at him, it's very. It's actually very well done. I mean, Mira manages to convey it without saying anything, but I think it's well done. And even he's just. I mean, he's always staring because he's a skull face, but uh, yeah, I think that scene, that scene's very powerful. I was just going to say. Plus the way, you know, he stares into her eyes and goes, I am a harbinger of misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> it's a surprisingly romantic moment, given that one of them is a hollow suit of armor. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I think, I mean, personally, that would be the biggest moment for me. And uh, and obviously we get like the the boy appears at the end. That's also a big deal, even though we were waiting for it. And Gus reflecting on uh, on what Gat told him, which is interesting because he's still he's always Gat, so he's just stubborn. He yeah yeah sure whatever you say, uh, but at the same time I think you know it's been so many times he's been warned about this. Uh, <laughs> well, it's I, like Gus, you're literally looking at a skeleton, like warning you of your death. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, we we probably get into that more later, but I I think that uh, that portends a lot uh, of things that are coming. I, I think a turning point is coming with the armor. He's been waiting for a long time. We we've known that he's dangerous for a long time. He's losing his senses. Uh, there's a problem with the Beast of Darkness. There's many problems associated with it, and we skipped. Uh, we skipped it with uh, Hanar this time, and I think that's because Mira's planned something where there's going to be, you know, it's going to come to a head, and and then Gus won't have a choice. So yeah, I, I think uh, that's what that's what it implies. 
Yeah, the scene between um, Skull Knight and Danon was also my favorite, just because it's, it is sort of hinting at the nature of the relationship between the two without really explicitly saying it. I feel like it is kind of mysterious because you naturally want to think, well, that woman seems to have died. This woman is alive. So what is who who, who is this woman exactly? Who was that woman and who is Danon? Mm. And I feel like Mira is sort of just like nudges at the answer by putting the two on screen like that, you know, and her transforming right there, getting right in his face, kind of, you know, what would otherwise be a kind of a romantic gesture or a friendly gesture in any, in any case, uh, just kind of falls on deaf ears on the hollow Skull Knight guy. (laughs) Well, I I don't know if it really falls on deaf ears because we, we don't get to see one thing I wanted to point out is that their talk is, I don't think the others can hear it. It's only Oh yeah, I w- oh I see what you mean. That they can't even when they walk before they walk away they can't hear because I was just going to point yeah. out how it seems like this is the moment. And then you know he's like ah, I don't really, you know, get I don't really think about or feel the feelings from the old days. And mm-hmm. then Ged is like all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so to me to me it doesn't seem like they can actually hear what the two are saying. But yeah, in any case, they leave uh, and, and leave the two of them alone. So I'm, I imagine that the actual deep talk occurs uh, off screen. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that to me kind of encapsulates what's happening in this episode, which is interesting. Like, I feel like it's clear Mira is parceling out Skull Knight's backstory, you know. So between this last episode and this episode, Mira's given us a picture of Skull Knight before and Skull Knight after in the distant future. But we're still missing what's implied in this episode is the big inciting taboo incident itself that got Flora expelled from the island. So that's kind of prodded at twice because we see Ged mention it specifically. And we see the aftermath, which is Skull Knight is basically distanced from humanity, you know, basically hollowed out from the man that he used to be. So we see the effect of it. But we still don't know exactly what happened. Mm. It's not, rather, it has not been laid out exactly. Yeah. So far. And personally, when I when I read this episode, uh, things that jumped out to me is that Mira is very clearly arranging uh, things, you know, revelations, uh, events, uh, in a very specific order. Uh, and I think that implies that he's got he's got a very specific idea of the sequence in which he wants the events to occur. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, we expected last episode that uh, they would move on to getting the armor maybe fixed or upgraded or something. Maybe, you know, Hanar would look at the Dragon Slayer and all that stuff was skipped. Uh, we got directly, so that means we got directly from the vision of the Skull Knight's death uh, to him at the grave, that scene with Danan. Then we skip, we add a little part with Isidro and Isma. And Shiroke, then we go back to Guts, thinking back to what Get told him about the armor, and then the boy comes in at the end. And all of that to me implies, you know, there's a continuity between the danger of the armor, uh, what it did to the past uh, wearer, and what, you know, it means for Guts right now. So, yeah, I I think that that hints at what's coming, you know, next. Yeah, and I liked what you guys were talking about in the episode thread about, you know, in terms of the pacing and keeping the reader engaged, I really liked what you said about how some of this explanation could be folded into a future action scene. Like, Skull Knight is not going to sit and tell us his whole life story when some of these images and motifs need to be connected right away, and then he can 
you know, have a big revelation later when it's even higher action. Yeah, exactly. Skull Knight still hasn't technically, he hasn't said anything. Like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't ever say anything, and he kind of, you know, (laughs) says why in here, but the cool thing is we actually have gotten more information than we probably ever even imagined from what we could, you know, extrapolate. You know, we figure we'd get the Gazerick backstory, Flora would be involved, but we didn't know we were going to get to see, you know, like the specific scenes that we got in the flashback to his death or let alone him visiting his girlfriend's grave and then having some moment of unrequited love with Dan and, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty cool character development for a guy who says, like, I feel nothing, <laughs> you know, I have nothing going on but grudge, you know, and, and hate. And the phrase, uh, Skull Knight's girlfriend is not one that we've ever <laughs> Yeah, we, we probably did. So. Maybe we yeah. would have referred to Flora as that in the past tense, yeah. you know, but now yeah. it's like, oh, she she was in the friend zone, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> too bad. The way Skull Knight talks is very poetic and uh, enigmatic. That's how Mira designed him. So he's never straightforward. And I think what he tells um, Dan is not necessarily, oh, I don't feel anything anymore and I don't care about you. And just, you know, I'm just a robot. He's basically saying, he's reflecting on his, you know, life that uh, bad things happen because of him. He's like blaming himself. It's, it's a quite- very prosaic way of sort of saying, you know, expressing like regret. I guess, yeah. and, you know, yeah. yeah, and, like, atonement. He's basically saying, bad things happened because of me. My, you know, I died miserably. I And, you know, I have no time to just bask in the, yeah. in, you know, in the light of the past and those memories. Because now I've only got one thing going, and that's, you know, opposing the God hand. But at the same time, I don't think it just means, hey, I feel nothing, I don't care. It's not. It's not like that. So he's actually he's actually saying he feels bad essentially that he's got reasons to have you know yeah it's regrets a and- roundabout way to express these kinds of feelings because yeah just like he's not the kind of guy to just sit down and say well actually that motherfucker void back in the day he really got me good <laughs> just like guts you know guts has never we talked about in the thread guts never talked about the eclipse or even the band of the Falcon to the group. And he had to be basically cornered uh, by, by Gatlin uh, in the Guru's place and asked directly about Griffiths for him to just muster a few words. But he's never said anything before that, and he hasn't said anything since. So these are the kind... I mean, these are the kind of guys who just don't speak much. You know, it's kind of the silent, uh, you know, protagonist who's just going to bark a few words here and there, but they're not the kind to just... Uh, you know, spill the guts out and explain everything. Well, despite that, the fact that Skull Knight is still around, which is somewhat anomalous. Uh, Normally he appears, tells Guts the line, the fortune cookie prophecy that he has to deliver (laughs) in this moment. And then that's it. Bounce, drop the mic. He's out. And we don't see him again. And then come back to like, maybe save the day, you know, and that's it. I mean, he's he's sticking around this time. He's been shunted around from the cliffs to the, the cave to the grave, and so he's he's here for a bit. He's yeah, not he's, going anywhere. yeah. I do he's get rolled. the sense that it's like one thing cool that they've established when they walked away without saying goodbye or anything is that he's on the island. He's not mm-hmm. like he's not done with his mission, and now he's like taken off. Like he's actually his probably there. His horse is parked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah. He has a 24-hour pass. He's not, <laughs> yeah. you know, going anywhere. 
Yeah. And the, the other thing about Skull Knight that I really appreciated as a, someone who named his website SkullKnight.net is just Ged really lays it on thick, the connection between Skull Knight and Guts himself, something that many of us have considered over the years. So, you know, it's, not, it's not like Miura has never dropped this hint before, but it's made explicitly clear that Ged says that Skull Knight sees himself in you, basically. And that's part of why he's fascinated by you or interested in you, intrigued by you, Guts. Mm. Which is good to hear, finally. Everyone is so intrigued it, by Guts. Like, the story is really... It, it, Mira does a good job of making Guts like the apple of everyone's eye. Griffith, you know, Zod, Skull Knight. Yeah, he's a cool dude. It's a, it's a quite a compliment, I think. You yeah. Know, this person who conquered the world, basically, uh, you know, looks at Guts in, in admiration, so... Good for guts. I don't know if it's really admiration. It's more. It might it'd almost be. It's almost like not skepticism, but like you know, he sees uh, a, both good and bad potential. That's why he comes and kind of nudges him. I feel like you know he's more. You know, he sees someone who's kind of following, uh, as Zod said, the path. To, you know, the path to hell. Yeah, he sees his younger self in him, basically, and uh, yeah, and that's why he's. Involved with him, the, the word Ged uses is actually um, it's difficult to translate, but it means he's bound to him. He's uh, you know he's involved in a way he's stuck with him basically. So uh, so yeah, that means it's uh, he just can't let go because he yeah he sees his past self and he wants us to avoid making the same mistakes. Despite that talk, and despite getting the vision last episode, the, we end this episode with Guts basically saying, like, ah, who cares? Gonna swing <laughs> it's always like, the, oh. this is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I, I wondered about that. Like, what? Mm, I mean, I already know. I know what would get through to Guts, but, like, I was kind of surprised that he didn't have a, more of a reflective moment there. But maybe that's just how Guts is, right? Maybe he'll internalize how he really feels, but uh, in the end, he relies on his sword. I, I agree. I think there's a, um, a part of bravado in it. Well, mm -hmm. I like that it's in the the translation uh, uh, as in Puela so generously provided us. He said he comes right out and he says it. You know, like thanks for the advice, but you know, obstinacy is my strength. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so he's basically saying, yeah, just being like completely. Uh, obstinate and stubborn and you know not letting basically not letting anyone discourage him has been like his entire you know way of getting through life so why should he why should he change now so you know he'll come to his own realizations that he needs to uh, in his own time but it's like yeah I, at first it, it's kind of you know exasperating because it's like you know i think we all trust skull knight you know has like the best intentions for him Right. But uh, he. I think that's a really good point because up till now, Guts's drive and his instinct has, has guided him throughout his whole life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's the first, maybe the first occasion where his stubbornness is proving to be a detriment and not an advantage. It's always been. He's mature enough to acknowledge it, too. Like, it's not just something where he's yelling at me, like, get away from me, or I do what I want. You know, he's like saying, like, yeah, you know, this is kind of my thing. <laughs> I have to, I'm, just, yeah. I'm stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wisdom that old age gives you. You realize yeah. your, your faults. Now that he's like an ancient 24 year old, you know. So. It's, also, <laughs> it's also an occasion for Gus to once more realize something once he's lost it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Something There's something interesting about Guts here. Sorry, I'm trying to find my own notes. Well, about this scene, 
What didn't you get the sense when they're walking? You know, you see Skull Knight at the beginning of this episode, and he's walking. You know, you see him walking into this tree and visiting this, uh, you know, stone. The natural inclination, I think, for everyone is like, "Oh my gosh, it's happening!" You know, I think he's gonna, you know, he's gonna spill. They're gonna have the talk, and then it goes into something which, you know, as we mentioned before, is actually, you know, bolder and more than we expected. But we're also deferred on that moment, which is, you know, always, always disappointing. I even feel like the Ged, you know, well, let's get out of here. It's almost like a joke. Like, you know, let's let them talk. We don't want to overhear this. The fact that this is not, this was not the moment or the cave was not the moment means it's going to come out. It's not even going to be a moment where Skull Knight's going to sit down around the fire, you Mm -hmm. know, have some elf wine and talk. You know, that's, he's not that kind of guy. Where, like, look at what had to happen for Guts to get what he got. Like, he had to literally have, like, a a vision quest, you know, kind yeah. of experience. And it's like, okay, so it's probably not going to be Scully just laying it out there. It's going to come about if some other way. If there were ever a moment for a red carpet, like, you know, thing, it was right here. It's going to be show, not tell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's good to remember that Berserk is a visual medium where the text is important, but Mura likes to, to show things. And I think that's why we got that vision last episode was because he wanted to hit us in the face with that previous act. And for the characters to see it, too. Yeah, of course. And because it's also a way for them to see something and understand it, but actually not really understand what it means. And it's the same way with what Shiruke saw of the Eclipse when she dived into God's, uh, you know, ego. All these things, it's like these characters, they half understand, but not quite enough to put two and two together and get everything. So for the reader, you get everything and the character's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I, I don't really quite get it yet. So, yeah. Keeps the narrative tension going for Indeed. as long as possible. Yeah, and I think, like we said earlier, the the idea uh, Mira had is uh, he's gonna have these reveals come along with uh, big dramatic and climactic moments where you know something happens. There's gonna be a battle, and at the same time, it's revealed that this happened and this. Skullite says this, whatever. You know, it's gonna be all these things to, together. I think. We're so, going to have to wait for, like, Skull Knight's next death to get the full backstory on his last death, you know, basically. Yeah. Well, actually, get that it's funny because I, I was thinking, is, is he going to die on the island? It's not something, you know, oh, it's, it's just... I, I wow. was, my thoughts always been, he's going to die while killing Void. He's going to self-sacrifice. But are they? does he need to be removed from the story because he's a cheat, too? Is like That would be another aspect of if he died here. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, it's kind of, you know, diverging far away from this episode. But I think for the story to, to end in a cool way, it makes sense if it's Guts versus Griffiths. Uh, and, and that means taking out Boyd and taking out the Skull Knight, out of the picture at least. So maybe the Skull Knight, you know... Maybe it's going to be a Star Wars thing where after death he appears in a film is a spirit and he's like, hey, I can finally rest with my beloved. Only now he's Hayden Christensen. It's really <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> or, or he could... That'll be like his second ghost appearance. The first time he'll be an old man. So, yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> he could also end up in the vortex, which is my original, uh, original idea. Um, but yeah, I, I do think he's going to self-sacrifice at some point. I, I don't think my first thought is not that he's going to die on the island, but 
you know, I think we need to uh, bear it in mind and maybe consider it as a possibility that there might be something that causes him to just, uh, yeah, die there and, and Guts has to carry the torch. So it's also... I've I've literally never considered Skull Knight's uh, absence from the series before the climax of the series. But that I he would die basically when the... In it, the, in the climax. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Removing him from the story basically removes a kind of a crutch for Guts. Like, as you already said, yeah. Guts would have to carry the torch himself. I think that heightens, like, the excitement of what a final climax would be. It would also without, mean Guts you know, is like... And bones to rely on. Yeah. Yeah. Guts is the guy at that point, too. It's like, you, you know, he, obviously he's the main character. We all know his quest is paramount. But it's like, there's this whole crusade that Skull Knight is on that he leads and that Guts is sort of now, you know, involved in. In his own way. He's got his own, you know, mission and take on it. But he would really be taking up the mantle in that scenario. So that would be pretty yeah. cool where, like, oh, wow, yeah, he's carrying on, you know, something bigger than his, you know, revenge quest. Yeah, I know. Originally, like, my, my uh, thought is that he, he's going to die. Like, the whole human and void fight to the death is going to happen uh, closer to the ending, you know, after a film while Guts is himself nearing the final battle. So it, it happens just a, a bit before. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe why not right now on the island or soon at least? It's uh, something I've considered. Um, we talked a little earlier about Skull Knight and Guts being similar. Actually, the episode talks about it. I'm just pointing it out. But one thing, there's a couple things that are fundamentally different about them, at least in their current state. The fact that we talked about this last time, but it looks uh, it looks from the outset that Skull Knight lost what was the equivalent of his Casca, whereas Guts still has Casca. Guts was able to rescue and save Casca from the the eclipse, uh, rather with Skull Knight's help, and then ultimately thanks to Danon. So he has that on his side. So it's not just like he has lost his his woman and what for Guts can you know help hold him back. Guts has that strength still. He also yeah. has companions. So. There are some fundamental differences between the two that I think can give Guts a little bit more uh, chips in his favor than what happened with Skull Knight, which is just just a tragedy. And the boy, too. Yeah. It changes, upon reflection, for me anyway, like Skull Knight saving Guts and saving Casca from the Eclipse. It's like, how much more, you know, in a way meaningful is it, you know, to him personally that he came in and rescued them? And plus, you know, sort of the foresight he had about what was going on. Yeah, it gives it a whole nother significance. Yeah, it gives it another layer. You know, he's basically saving himself and sparing Guts, you know, what he went through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Without further ado, I do have kind of, it's not a page by page, but it is a topic by topic breakdown of this episode. I figure we can go through each of those to carry out the rest of the episode. Are there any other stray thoughts you want to get before we start doing this focus talk? Not at the moment. Okay. I'll start with no Hanar. You know, we talked a lot last episode about the idea that, oh boy, this guy's really exciting. I wonder what he'd have to say about the Dragon Slayer. <laughs> I wonder what he's going to do with the Berserk armor after this flashback is up. This is a stray thought, <laughs> but it's it's a good one. No, it's, it's it's the absence of the scene is the first scene. Yeah. It's the the the, the lack of a scene. Yeah, uh, anyway, Hanar. It goes straight from the cave to the, uh, the other cave, <laughs> the, under the tree cave. There's so many caves. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. It was, um, I think it was abrupt, pretty abrupt. Uh, probably everyone would agree on this. We don't see them leaving. Uh, we don't see Hanar repair uh, Skull Knight's spike. He does it off screen. 
so we I'm, see them yeah arriving in a completely new location you yeah. know later yeah it's not just that they don't say goodbye is that we we just see them as they arrive elsewhere and presumably nowhere close to where uh Hunter was so you know, since the episode is only 18 pages, it actually made me wonder if Mira won't add a page at the beginning when the volume comes out. I kind of hope for it, just to make the transition a bit smoother. Um, but yeah, I think the point, as, as we said earlier, was to uh, try to keep us focused on, on Skull Knight's past. Uh, we went from that big flashback of his death uh, right to him visiting the grave. Then to get Flynn's commentary later in the episode about the armor, and finally to the boy who is well known to have helped Guts deal with the armor before. So I think there's a kind of, uh, you know, a thread throughout all of these things, and it shows Miras trying to rearrange everything to make it fit uh, what he wants to do. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that we didn't get that right up front, but yeah... I I, I do believe we'll see him again. I do believe he still has a role to play. Yeah. There's just so much potential there. Uh, it's just too bad we didn't get it. Well, now yeah, something it. something is going to go wrong with the armor. I mean, they already made that clear. That's what his yeah. that whole scene, the other thing that scene was about, was that, like, yeah, something's going to go wrong here. And, you know, Guts and Hanar are going to have to fix it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think the point is to make it just have Gus of one last close call uh, and, and where he's forced to get something done, to change the way he does things. And then Honor is going to come into play and, uh, and repair the armor. And that might also uh, be the case for the Dragon Slayer. Maybe there's going to be a battle and it's going to be damaged or something. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a reason. Uh, basically, my point is there's a good reason Mira has kept it uh, for later. <laughs> the beast loose on elf island it'd be like a bull in a china shop when they're fixing the arm it's like a lot of a lot of elves died today needlessly <laughs> guys oh no it's like Somebody okay okay I'll, I'll control the armor better you're right <laughs> should have listened to the old man in the I cave know. what was his name again i can't remember we were only there for five minutes it was hank <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it was a small little aside as well in that opening scene is uh uh, Guts thinking to himself, uh, there's no mistaking it, it was an eclipse. Yeah. And it's not. It's nice to just say that right there. It's not, there's no, what was it that happened? What exactly? were those other beings at the eclipse next to Void? I, were, they, <laughs> were they proto-apostles, maybe? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. It doesn't say. Guts doesn't say those yeah, were yeah. God hands. So, we, so. Can't, we can't be sure until he says so. Yeah. <laughs> it could be anything. It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it sure looked like an eclipse. They're yeah. just some dudes. Uh, an occultation. Uh, it, it was. Nice to know. Yeah. Um, the the other thing they do on the opening page, which is neat, is Guts thinking, or he and I, you know, basically drawing a line. Guts is doing the dumb person math, like, uh, are we related <laughs> in some way? Are we, is there some kind of connection between us, between his past and my past? Huh. We're very similar. You know? Yeah, he's noticing. Yeah. Well, I mean... I think based on the translation, it could be, yeah, it could be the bigger, like, he's like me in general, yep. or is is he wondering if specifically if he's also branded? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wondered about that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think Which one just, is it? Yeah. It could be either or, or both. I think the implication is that, uh, yeah, he went, he went through the same thing. That's the thing. He, he was uh, betrayed, branded. Uh, whatever you want, but basically he, he endured the same thing Guts endured during the eclipse. That's, that's what he's uh, hinting at. 
It's right. weird, too, that we don't get a close-up of Gut's face in that exact moment. It's actually more focused on uh, Skull Knight, you know, sort of ahead of the pack. Mm-hmm. Well, he's staring at the back of his head. Yeah. And all those <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Um, the gravesite itself, I really liked, of course, the uh, the spiral motif on the grave, the gravestone. Uh, it's in- interesting also that it's below the tree. Um, do we – okay, maybe you guys think this is obvious. It's not obvious to me. Is this the tree or is this a tree? No, 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 no. So this is, uh, this is absolutely the tree. And, oh, excellent. And it's not, just, perfect, it's not just below the tree. Uh, the, the way uh, Ged says it is that it's at the source – the origin of the tree, uh, so it's it's kind of oh, wow. it's not something that you know translates too well to English, but it means yeah the the, the word used is a word that means origin. So like it, so is this tree a thousand years old? Yeah, so it, I mean it implies a lot of things. It implies so that's why it's kind of moving uh, ahead a bit far. But no, go for it. But uh, this is what got me thinking. Well, you know, Danan's got to be a kind of reincarnation of the woman. Uh, that, along with the title she's given, which is uh, kind of similar. So, uh, D- Danan, when she asks the Skull Knight if he's come to visit the grave, uh, she calls uh, the woman uh, Sakura no Mikohime, which means, uh, like you said earlier, Walter, Lady Medium of Cherry Blossoms or, or Princess Medium of Cherry Blossoms. And obviously, you know, Cherry Blossoms, uh, Danan is, uh, you know, Queen of the Flower Storm. And in this case, it's uh, Cherry Blossoms, the flowers in question. So there's a connection These there. These titles. And, yeah, and so yeah. the fact the the, the grave uh, is at the yeah the root of the tree, the source, the origin of the tree. It's you know there's two ways to see it. The first is that she was interred, and then maybe her soul was you know reborn through the tree's power, or maybe when Danan was born from it, she took a likeness. Something like that, you know, in, in the case of her soul being bound to the trees, that could have been to prevent her from, as a branded woman, uh, going to ending up in hell, you know, in the vortex of souls. Yeah. And as the other way is that maybe this woman had tremendous power and where she was buried there, the tree grew over uh, the stone. But given the way the site, you know, the burial site is, is done, I'm not sure how that would work because the tree is literally around it. But in any case, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that implies definitely a connection between the woman and, and the trees. There's obviously something, and this ties to her connection with Danan. Uh, in the previous episode, we had kind of speculated she might have been her daughter or something like that. But when you see that scene of the two of them, the way they talk, you know, it kind of it kind of implies something romantic. I just can't see it another way. Even though, yep. you know, Danan, she calls him. Uh, Kishisama, so Lord Knight, it's not a very, it's not a familiar way to talk to somebody. And, and she refers to the woman's grave as if it's someone else. So I think this also goes in the direction of her being not quite the same person. You know, another version or maybe a reincarnation or something like that. Some concept we, we haven't quite seen in Berserk yet. But yeah, those are my thoughts. You know, as this reminds me of a conversation we had during the last uh reading for 362 uh and a question that i had was uh, something about the the woman in the flashback who we just knew as some sort of priestess involving the tree and i was wondering you know would she be the one that had planted the tree or something like that 
And we were trying to figure it out because the tree was so huge. It was like, no, this couldn't be just a thousand year old tree. This thing has to be like predating. Yeah. But it's really interesting to see how just one word can totally change the context, the origins. And, and yeah. that that's really interesting to me. But there's a problem, though, is that the title of the tree is all, was already in her title when she was still alive. Right. Yeah. So what the cherry blossom? Well, it's yeah, well, so it's the word sakura. I mean, it can mean any cherry tree, you know. So yeah. But yeah, it does imply. My, my first thought is that she was uh, in charge of a group of women who are who are tending to the tree. They were taking care of it, helping it grow. You know, uh, basically, yeah, t- tending to the tree in a kind of a ceremonial way because the, the word used to say medium here. Miko, it's also, it's used in Shintoism. It's, uh, you know, the shrine maidens, the very typical Japanese shrine maidens. So that's a word used for them. So it can have that, um, you know, connotation of somebody tending to a holy site, you know, in this case, the spirit tree. So, yeah, you know, it could have been that she was in charge of that. She was deeply fond of the tree and whatever. And so when she died, they buried her at the, you know, the center of the root of the tree or the source of the tree's power. And maybe that's how she was reborn as, as Dan. So the, the thing that had bothered me all along um, last episode was Dan is an elf and uh, Guy Zorik was a man. And, you know, to have that an elf mating with a human, could it really be done, whatever? I was, I was not quite, I didn't know if it made sense, but that also allows us to have uh, this human woman who is a magic user who is reborn as a different being through the tree. Um, so yeah, it also makes sense in that regard, even though it implies th- the tree existed for a long time without Danan being tied to it. Mm-hmm. Earlier, Azil, you talked about the way that they talk to each other and how it immediately kind of betrays any familiarity or friendliness because they're talking so distantly about each other. You said she calls him Lord Knight. Um, but it's also kind of how you would talk to someone if there was some distance between you or, or even – I don't want to say damage, but like – yeah. The way Skull Knight refers to himself in the past is, you know, when I was still someone within the reasons of time. We talked some him and Flora as well in that way. So it probably has been a long time since they, so they are being more formal about it. Even if they did know each other, they're being more formal about it because it's been a thousand years, perhaps, you know? So I, I kind of understand why they would keep that friendliness at bay initially. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's like, I mean, they're potentially estranged by death and by her being yeah, reincarnated totally. as a, like, it might really be like this tragedy of he's staring at the woman he loves, but she's someone else. Yeah. You know, or and they and maybe she feels it, but you know she also can't reciprocate. You know what uh, his actual, you know, uh, beloved could. So it's like that. You know, it's it's a sad, awkward, and very romantic actually kind of uh, <laughs> scenario. I mean, not romantic yeah. in a <laughs> like a loving way, but in a you know sad, you know, tragic way. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a. Tragic lover story uh, in, the, yeah. in the vein of uh, Tristan and Isolt, that kind of thing. They're, they're both literally different people now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. both of them were, their lives were extended through basically unnatural means. Yeah, that too. And soul S- Scully got a way better or a way worse deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's a she, bag of she bones. Had her, her soul, yeah, I, I just like the, just even on paper. Yeah. It's nice and symmetrical. It's right? a really like, cool uh, little parallel. 
her soul yeah. part of the tree, a more natural thing. His soul part of this armor, a very, you know, warlike, violent kind of thing. Yeah, it's fitting cool. though for their yeah. uh, personalities, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that becomes very evident when you see them both on screen, that they, knowing a little bit about them, or at least surmising a little bit about them, and then seeing them both on screen, the, the, the parallels and yet the differences are so obvious. And that shot with the two of them, he makes quite the handsome skeleton, I must say. Oh, yeah. He looks dashing. <laughs> yeah. The lighting is very dramatic. I always pictured him be a little taller. I don't know. I don't know how tall Dan is. <laughs> he's not as tall as I thought he'd be. <laughs> well, like he's a uh, he's pretty tall, man. He's pretty tall. Yeah, yeah. sure. He's she must be in, really tall too. Yeah, she. she yeah, I think she is. Yeah, <laughs> he's taller than guts. So you know, that's. Uh, I think he's like a head taller than guts. If uh, yeah. if it like scrolled down, you'd see she's actually levitating there using her <laughs> her powers of flight. So <laughs> I can float too. Um. One other small thing is the gravestone itself. We've seen that pattern before, uh, marking the outside of the island. It's a little bit different, I think. It might be the same, but I haven't really done a cross compare. But it's a spiral, uh, and the fact that the that Flora once served under her, they use the term medium. Uh, whenever I think about spiral, guys, I don't know about you, but I think about Flora talking about causality, and I wonder it's if spiral, the, the spiral itself is merely supposed to be evocative of a Celtic design, and that's all it is. Or if it really does supposed to be, represent like a tapestry of causality or something. Well, so I don't know. Spirals, they have a signification in Berserk, which is uh, they're related to magic and that kind of stuff. So obviously, there's what Fora talked about. There's also the vortex of souls, which is uh, a whirlpool, a spiral. There's uh, spiral designs that uh, made up the barrier uh, for Flora's house. There's mm-hmm. a spiral uh, seashells that protected Isma's house from the sea god which are Mozart fashion for her. So we know that it's a symbol associated with with magic. Uh, it's one of these things, you know, that have power. It's also the stones at the, that guard the island, that prevent people, you know, uh, turn them around. Those have uh, th- one, these kinds of spirals. One of stones. the witches has a, has a spiral-shaped barrette in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's a barrier keeping her soul there. Maybe that's what the barrier part hmm. of that would be. Yeah, is that... Uh, I think that's a bit like that's uh, speculating a bit uh, crazily, but uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> In any case, I think it's a uh, it's a symbol that has power. That's for sure. But yeah, why not? Why not something that keeps us all there? I mean, it's crazy, but it could be. Well, on this note, so did Flora? Do you think she's responsible for keeping both of them alive in this way? Did she just do, you know, help Skull Knight? Did she actually, maybe Skull Knight the armor and Hanar took care of that and she took care of the maiden? So that's, uh, that's a good question. The way, so the way Ged talks about it, um, Shiruke asks what was the relation between uh, the Skull Knight and her master and Ged answers that Flora was uh, the assistant, an assistant or an attendant of the lady medium, the princess medium, whatever, the medium in chief. Uh, and that uh, she then says that these two, the two people got along well. And it's not quite sure uh, from the text whether she's talking about uh, the Skull Knight and Flora or uh, Flora and, and the woman. But given the context, uh, I think she's talking about the Skull Knight. And what's important is the next line where she says, after the catastrophe, uh, after the black sun illuminated, illuminated the land, uh, because Flora's feelings were too strong, she committed a taboo. And what this implies is that she 
she was in love. I mean, in Japanese, you know, you don't really say I love you, that kind of stuff. They always dance around the thing. So it never says directly that she was in love. But what it implies is that she had a kind of uh, unrequited love situation with uh, Geyseric. And that because of that, she did something taboo, which in this case would be she bound his soul to, to the armor. And, um, and it's interesting because obviously it mirrors uh, the way Shoki has a crush on Guts. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't quite say... Like she did the same thing for the woman. So, you know, it becomes a question or did she do both? Could be, but not sure. Did one just occur more naturally, you know, yeah, or, ex- you know, by exactly. happenstance because of the tree and, you know, but The way it could have been done is because the woman was a priestess, had priestess in charge of tending to the tree, she was interred there and uh, naturally, through a process, whatever, and her affinity with the tree, her, her soul was reborn. Or maybe another being, the elf, which was meant to be born from the spiritual tree, was born with a likeness. It could be a thing like that, but which yeah. happened more naturally. Whereas in the case of the of Geyseric, uh, clearly it's it's one hundred percent unnatural. It's like he should have been, you know, dead and going to wherever, and, and they forced his soul and kept it imprisoned in that armor so he could stay around. So Flora is like the queen of the dead. Like you know, it's like she kept what? her. You know, she she mentioned how she stayed alive well past her time and uh, yeah, yeah, we, we you know, kept Skull Knight alive. But... Maybe kept you know uh, his his maiden alive. You know, in this roundabout way. Yeah, because the, the thing is, uh, Gad and everyone else they're on an island where time flows differently, so they have an excuse for staying alive. But Flora, she was out in the world and she still lived like super long. So it was also, as she tells Shirkate, it was sinful for her to extend her life that way. Which is another thing is that um, we're told uh, Flora was exiled from the village. And then she left the island. So the question is, she might have been able to stay on the island if she wanted to to live a, a secluded life. Kind of like, uh, you know, the Volvaba does. But she decided to leave the island. So the question is, why did she leave? Why did she go into the world? Uh, and also, I find it interesting that as a woman who has herself a medium or someone, you know, working under the, you know, uh, lady medium of the cherry tree, she, she chose to, she found another spiritual tree to take care of. And she, she lived there all her life, presumably. And, and that's the one yeah, where we saw her die. So I think there's a connection there again from, you know, having tended to that tree and finding another one and taking care of it. Yeah, you know, to me, this... that was the answer for why she left was she had something to protect and help raise. Or maybe that was the, the moment that tree began. She took the sapling from that tree and yeah, could spread be. it across the world or something like that, perhaps. Right. Well, it doesn't seem to have been a cherry tree, though, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, one thing, so that's, that's a crazy thing, though. Uh, it's uh, Shiruke's origins. <laughs> yeah. We, we, so Shiruke, Mira used to joke she was a magical girl because she's a, she's a witch. You know, magical girls yeah. are this kind of stereotype in uh, Japanese manga. And, um, and yeah, she's got green hair. She's a prodigy at magic. We don't know where she came from. All she seems to have known is uh, Flora. So could she have been made also, you know, air quotes, artificially? Could she have been born from the tree? Could there have she been was some... made from the midichlorians. Yeah, I mean, could, could there have been some kind of crazy things there? Who knows? I mean, it's really far-fetched, but yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. Just... I mean, yeah, there it is a. 
Whoa. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's going to give them a lot to talk about next time uh, Shirke talks to Flora in her in her dreams or whatever. They're going to have a, a, a long dialogue. <laughs> well, you'd think this would have to come up like, hey, where'd I come from? <laughs> you know, yeah. during their life yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> Who's my mother? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have a final crazy thing to say about the, the woman. Um, because of that word Miko, which we usually translate as medium, it's, uh, it's the same word used for Sonia. Who is uh well she's actually a medium, she can see the future, that kind of stuff. And that made me wonder if she might not have been the one who came up with the prophecy of the Falcon of Darkness, which is still, you know, famous nowadays in the Berserk world. Um yeah, could she have been using the tree as a means to divine the future? Could she have that kind of power? Uh, reading the flow of causality or, or or whatnot. So yeah, it's some things that, that came that sprung to mind as I saw this episode. I really like that theory. Yeah. Thank, thank you. It's not far-fetched from where we initially had pegged uh, Danon, you know, is yep. uh, long ago that Skull Knight must have an oracle somewhere on the island that gives him insight into things, right? Instead of just knowing things, a, a source of information. And so those two things connect. If he, if he had in the past some kind of indication of how things were going to go uh, through his girlfriend, um, <laughs> that he would know that way, perhaps. Yeah. Yep. Uh, about the... The tree that grows people idea. It does sound a little crazy, but it also like strikes me as like it could totally happen. Uh, there was one really small throwaway thing that made me kind of like, grounded it for me. Uh, if you go to the second to last page, third to last page, it's when Guts sees Casca uh, talking or with Farnese in the little house. There's a tree kind of occluding them. In the background is a little like painting kind of mural kind mm-hmm. of thing. It looks like a sapling, like a yeah. little like egg-shaped sapling. Yeah, and there's uh some flowers kind of budding out from it, and it's not for sure. But if you go back to the gravestone, it kind of looks similar to me, uh, and it, it looks kind of like a a motif of something growing, obviously. But hmm. it made me wonder about why um why what's the word capture that thing as like the painting or mural, whatever it is in the background. It made me think that might be something there too. I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That uh, little mural thing is um uh, is very evocative. It even reminds me of. It's a Falcon of Light imagery on Falconia and the whole, you know, the Beherit Apostles, mm-hmm. the whole egg thing. But I think now we're just, we're just talking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we jumped past it, but I just wanted to say real quick that what what, what Flora's action actually was, did, it, was she the one that just did Skull, Skull Knight's soul? Did she also bring Denon's soul? Uh, what's interesting is you guys already got kind of addressed it, that Skull Knight's treated as an abomination, basically, or that's what it seems like. Um, but Flo- but not Danon. Danon is the leader of the bunch. You know, she became the leader of Elfhelm, and I wonder how that transition happened. If indeed her soul was unnaturally, you know, manifested through this way. Uh, the other thing is, or if it was unintentional, throw Hanar out. He's he's the one that made this armor. Maybe <laughs> him and Volvaba both need to get tossed out. This is it's the Flora Revenge Tour. It's like how <laughs> dare you get rid of Flora? You're all out. Lock her up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at first, uh, yeah, that's why I, I don't. I'm not convinced the way she was uh, reincarnated or whatever was uh, unnatural. If that's what happened, I, I'm not sure of that because it might have. Uh, it might have been an accident. Yeah, I, I think it yeah, might. I have, like that idea. It might have occurred naturally, and I also think so. This is our film. It's not like Get Flim Helm. So it's not like, what are they going to do? Are they going to toss the, you know, sovereign of the flower storm out of the island? I don't think so. And the same way, 
they've got their village, but they are not. They don't have dominion over the island itself. And uh, I, I think one thing I forgot to mention is that the fact that I can transform into a human form might lead credence to this uh, idea that she was once, you know, human, whatever. But yeah, my point was that um, she has some sort of human soul in her, you know, or spirit tied yeah. to her. In any case, yeah. Hanar lives in his cave. Uh, you know, the, the, the great gurus have nothing. Even actually, when they when they come <laughs> to see him, it's like, why you why a guy like you comes here? So it's not like they have uh, they they don't rule over the island. Is what I'm saying. They just guess. I just like the idea of like a sweaty, feverish Flora, like telling Hannah, "You, you bring it. You put him in there. Put his soul in the armor. I'm gonna bury her right here under this tree, and she's gonna come back and watch. She's got dirt on her and a shovel. Got it all planned. <laughs> yeah, she's like just trying to bring all her friends back to life in different ways. Yeah. I, I like rushing. I, I do like the fact we had, we had mentioned when uh, Volvaba was talking about Flora, saying, "Oh, that girl." I do like that yep. she is actually she turned out to be a badass. I'm she's yeah, glad. she's the bad girl. She's really the bad yeah. girl, and it's it's funny because there's actually I, I'm going uh, ahead a bit, but when Ivarla um, catches up with uh, Shiruke and Mola <laughs> and everything, she berates her, saying, "Oh, you kidnapped my Shiruke." She says, "My Shiruke, you kidnapped my Shiruke," and she <laughs> she uses a, a, a slang that's related to mos- motorcycle gangs. In Japanese, oh. so it's like very, it's a super cultural thing where it's not necessarily easy to understand when you don't know Japanese culture. But basically, she uses a lot of words uh, related to that, some kind of slang. You know, she says Yorushku, but uh, with different kanjis that sound the same. It's it's just, it's, so it's there's a whole little motorcycle thing going there because uh, of the broom ride. You know, she's riding on a broom. Right. so and, and she's treating her like she's some kind of delinquent. So it just it, it uh, reminded me was what uh, we were talking about with uh, Griffiths back then, you know, with uh, Skull Knight and uh, Flora being like the bad guys of the island, that kind of stuff. I, I found that funny. <laughs> yeah, she rode off on her Skull Harley. She's yeah. like, yeah, she's yeah. she's like Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> about Evelira, um, I think from a long time ago, I remember. I think it was either you or Puebla had said that Evalira speaks with a different dialect, a northern Japanese dialect, kind of like a country bumpkin dialect. No, 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 no. Than- so no? P- Puck speaks with like, a, he, he often uses uh, regional dialects, but Evalira, she speaks like, how to say, uh, a New York young oh, chick. A city girl. Yeah, a city girl style. So she's a hip hmm. chick. They're all bumpkins. They're all uncool. You know, they're all stupid. She, she's that kind of character. So she's always, you know, doing these kind of things. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been like that since she was introduced. But it's the kind of stuff that's honestly, like, it's just for the Japanese audience. Uh, as Westerners, it's, uh, you know, like, you need uh, footnotes for every line to understand it. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh-huh. kind of lost on us, unfortunately. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So may as well turn things forward. Um, I could probably talk about SK and Danon for 30 more minutes, but yeah. we should continue with the other 14 pages of this episode. Do we? Yeah. Is, there's a line of his we, we didn't mention. Obviously, okay. when he said when he talks about his miserable end, he's referring to well, the way he died, but the part where he's like um, talking about how he's an, a harbinger of uh, misfortune or disaster, I think it's also... You know, it, it's in, I find it interesting because every time he appears to Guts, it's also to warn him that bad things are coming. You know, he comes 
where, where the bad stuff is. So I also found it, it's a pretty cool reflection on his character that he's that kind of guy where when he comes somewhere, bad things follow. And, uh, and of, you, of course, it makes sense, again, within that romantic context, he would say so to Danan as a kind of, uh, yeah, I fucked up. But uh, I, I do like that. I thought that was nice. Wanted to mention it's it. It's a hell of a way to say hello. After everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone's sort of acknowledging, you know, the truth about their characters. You know, Guts is stubborn. I'm, yeah, I'm the harbinger of misfortune. I'm Mr. Bad News <laughs> wherever I go. <laughs> but they, uh, we leave the couple and uh, below the tree. And uh, Shirake is pulled away by Evelira, who finally caught up with them. And uh, because Isidro is causing mischief uh, up on the island. And so they're, they transition over there. And we see that Isidro is really good at knots. I don't even know how he managed it so quickly, but he's He really literally, good. you see him, he just, as he flips over, he's, I guess, tying the knot. <laughs> Pretty impressive. <laughs> he makes some incredible faces. Like someone had mentioned in the chat that Emira's drawing style has gotten better with digital. Like he's never been so ambitious with faces. Not even Magnifico can live up to some of the in faces. In that one uh, Dawn face panel, he's making like four expressions at once. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yep, that's pretty pretty awesome. But yeah, wacky antics in the forest and quite adept already uh, at bounding about in the trees. So good for him. But getting his revenge is what he's is what he's doing on when they were when he first met up with the witches and they beat him with sticks. Uh, now <laughs> yeah. he's finally getting his moment. Also, it's worth mentioning that he is the one who kind of was bugging them uh, in episode 344. So they ganged up <laughs> on him and beat him with sticks. And now he's taking revenge on their revenge uh, on what he did originally. So it's it's uh, it's made more funny. A vicious cycle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also funny. I'm not, I'm not fast forwarding too fast. I just wanted to mention the fact that um, when Flora, uh, sorry, when Flora, when Shirke is reflecting on you know, why her mistress was uh, evicted from the island. Like, what was it that she did? You know, we see Isidro being carted off, you know, in handcuffs, basically. <laughs> yeah. A funny parallel between the two things. And the elves as well. You know, they've got these little elf guards. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, you get, it's funny because you, you get the idea that, like we all always knew, Puck, uh, when, it, when he lives there, he was just, just goofing off and, bugging everybody all the time he's that, that's he's he's himself part of a gang you know it's the elf the bad crew uh among the elves <laughs> yeah well before he was plotting with magnifico to take over uh before they got there and now that we're here he's he's sticking with uh Isidro, you know as this the, the the emperor here yeah <laughs> why it's yeah I, it's, I love that he uses the elves as like his throwing stars you oh, know so in cool. weapons. Yeah. I didn't expect like, that yeah that they're they are completely complicit <laughs> in his mission he one of them says uh, erufu dan and um it's you know it's a word for bomb so just it's it's kind of it's actually the same um the same counter that uh Mura uses for guts bombs, you know. So we saw oh Isidro throws them before, and now he's throwing elf bombs, basically. So yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny. And I like that they just like plop on their faces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the faces they make. <laughs> he keeps throwing them too. Is it little sides at side panels where he keeps throwing them at like Kuka's face as well? Yeah. Uh, mean, meanwhile, Molde is over here. He's cracking up every time you see her. She's laughing at the happening. So. Well, of course, she's also the one that uh, brings about his weakness. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Make some pause. His, his <laughs> fatal flaw. Yeah. What do we make of Isidro's antics here? Um, there's a line 
about uh, because it's the forest. He's really in his element here. Someone who has previously had been associated with fire because of the knife that he was given, but I think this is his element. He seems to be. Uh, it's the it's the, the monkey forest. thing, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That, that's actually a funny thing about the monkey lines when, when the uh, first uh, pictures of the episode came up. We we got we could see the title, but I could make out the first kanji and not the second, and it's the same kanji that's used for jumping fish. So I, I was oh. like, damn, oh, what's got TV? And I tried, I tried, and I saw oh, I was God, like, it kind of looks like monkey, but it couldn't possibly be that. <laughs> and it turned out. Uh, this is, that's a joke for like six people, right? Like yeah. that's not something that most people would think is as funny as us. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, you know, I was like, okay, oh, well. But uh, yeah, I do think, so it's interesting because... Uh, it takes us back to the Baryutes uh, discussion, uh, the mysterious element of weight. And the way it's presented is that, you know, it makes people gloomy. It also controls heaviness. Uh, it controls the darkening of the skies, that kind of stuff. And when we first saw the forests, because that's where the elves live, um, it's, and that's where the, the chaos happens when they first meet uh, with uh, all of the, the elves. We are told that it's, Baryutes don't get along well with that place, so that's why the gravity is lesser. And so there's a, a connection here between uh, lightness and heaviness that's both uh, literal, or something is heavy or light, and figurative, in this case, you know, being frivolous, uh, not taking things seriously, or being grumpy and gloomy like uh, Hanara and the dwarves. And, um, and yeah, what's, what it implies is that because Isidro is this kind of character, like Molda, who's not very, doesn't take things very seriously, he's, um, he's got an affinity with that place. And that's why he managed to so quickly become adept at moving super fast and, you know, doing all these uh, low gravity uh, fighting techniques, if you can call them that. Yeah, it's, it's not a mistake either, but the fact that we talked earlier about Barry Test gathering in the dark, deep places, whereas here that the trees on Skellig are some of the highest places and the most, the uh, uh, far, furthest away from where Barry Test would gather. So yeah, it makes sense they'd be concentrated there. Mm-hmm. Beyond the, uh, the, the funny aspect of it, which, I mean, there's lots to say, like when he, when he says, uh, dynamic and, uh, stylish, uh, packing, and he uses English words. It's, it's you know, it, reminiscent of uh, wild, enjoy and exciting. And I, I think it's, uh, it's on purpose from Mura. I'm, I'm not even sure what, what these references are even about. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely. I think it's definitely a reference. And there's like the, the monkey connection. Uh, and and um, but yeah, putting all that aside and the Star Trek stuff, uh, Star Wars stuff. Sorry. Uh, I, I think this will come to play a role in the future um, whenever, you know, crisis occurs and fighting goes on in the, in the island. And uh, my thought specifically is that in this, that environment, Isidro would be able to take on enemies that he normally could never touch. Including, yeah, you can fight an apostle, basically. Exactly, including an apostle. And so that's pretty much what's going to happen here, I think. And, uh, and the same goes with Isma. Uh, Shiruke remarks that, uh, wow, you managed to tame a Kelpie. That's, that's a pretty dangerous thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I mean, you take one of these lower uh, apostles. Uh, I don't think even if they're trying to, to bum rush a Kelpie, I think they're going to, you know, uh, get their money's worth 
So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it, it hints at future developments that way, where the kids will be able to take care of themselves and participate in uh, defending the island or whatever goes on. It's, it's a, I also think it kind of, it's an early tip of the hat of what the island can bring to bear if there is like an attack. It's a, it's a joking way of doing that. But it's also, Mir is not really revealing his full hand yet. He's just showing what the kids could do, right? He's not showing what the gurus can do yet. Yeah. So I think it's like a, just a small tip of the hat that like if there is an yeah. attack, this is the kind of thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big reveal if it happens. Yeah, well, and it's, it's also showing, uh, I like that it's giving like, it's almost a rock, paper, scissors aspect to Isidro's abilities versus like magic users. Because, you know, they can't match him physically in this environment, even though they're, you know, technically far more powerful with their magical abilities. But, I mean, he's got Shirke dead to rights here. He's finally going to, you know, get the best (laughs) of her. (laughs) And, yeah, it just, of course, doesn't work out for him. And he gets thwarted, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just part of his character to be thwarted. But, yeah, it's still his moment in the sun. I do like that there. He makes a joke at some point that she she can't even see his after image, and that's a very typical thing in shonen manga. Like yeah. uh, you know, Dragon Ball, where they move so fast, uh, the opponent can only they mistakenly strike like the empty spot where their image still lingers. So I think that's a uh, yeah, that, that was pretty funny. Among I also things. like when. Uh when he's distracted by uh, Molda momentarily and Shirke does her vine attack, that insane look at the bottom of the page, his eyes, I mean, it's such simple uh, and cartoony, you know, uh, drawing, but he looks, he looks so mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, he looks just insane. Wait, the, it was whenever really good. Uh, the, the shadow around his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's murderous like... Murderous intent. It's very creepy. <laughs> it's funny because... Um, he looks like an apostle, too. He looks like yeah. a monster. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's it's a reflection on uh, what the island is. And it also, like Guts, what Guts sings to himself at the end of the episode is the same, is that the place is so peaceful and there's no, like, uh, no crisis, no danger that... Isidro actually becomes a bad guy here, the big villain. And, you know, it's funny, it's the same thing when Ivarla comes to take up Shiruke, because this scene also acts as a diversion, you know. Uh, Shiruke is going to ask more questions to get, uh, get Flynn about Flora, and she's distracted, and that allows us to keep that for later, so we can, the reader, uh, ponder upon it, and Mura's keeping it in his, uh, in his back pocket. And um, what was I going to say? And yeah, she, she comes and it's like there's a big deal, a big catastrophe. And, and that big deal is just Isidro basically uh, harassing the girls and showing their panties or whatever. So it's just, it's just Yeah, goofy. you know, the way she approaches, it makes it seem like it's, yeah, like it's, you know, oh, we're under like apostle <laughs> attack. But, yeah. it's, oh, but of course, it's something completely frivolous. Yeah. yeah. Um. The way the scene ends, I actually really like. Um, what's funny is Kuka is over there yelling at Molda and Shirke for, you know, basically, you know, jetting and allowing this to happen. She's like taking the serious reprimand tone, where Shirke is kind of just enjoying it, smiling and, you know, and, and acknowledging that she's made friends on the island, you know, before turning her thoughts over to Flora and her being exiled. But it's almost like Shirky's growing up a little bit. You know, she's kind of dropping the school marmy attitude because she's being able to open up a bit more with this group, not having to well, prove herself. Also, the this is also what you know. Whenever you know you've got guts talking about how carefree the place is, and Shirky's sort of you know finding where like a place that could be her home. 
Mm-hmm. It's a, those are red flags that like, uh oh, the boat's about to hit the iceberg. Yeah, mm. yeah, I do think it's um, it's something where it shows. Oh, it would be a perfect place for her to settle down. Yeah, where she belongs, you know. Yeah, permanently, and obviously, whenever you know she has to make a decision and she decides not to stay, she decides to go along with guts. That will make the thing more poignant, you know. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it also is just setting up a lot of little things that we come into play later. And I think that also goes for, like, the, the students. You mentioned Shiruke kind of enjoying the thing, like Molda. And Molda is because it's boring, usually. So, you know, she finds it funny. But I think it also shows Shiruke is used to that kind of action, those kind of antics from Isidro. And whereas the, the other students, they are very, how to say... You know, du- uptight. Yeah, uptight, dutiful, disciplined. They are not used to this kind of stuff. And I think this shows that if trouble happens, they'll have, you know, they won't be able to adapt to it without help. And yeah. that Shiruke could be the one to actually, you know, lead them towards that. Yeah, marshal or- them into something to yeah. use their powers usefully. Mm-hmm. Yep. Instead of getting defeated by a monkey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,. <laughs> The way the scene ends, Shurke talking about thinking about Flora, it, it made me realize that you know we got the memory of the armor um, that told us Geyseric's past, well, the mom- a moment of Geyseric's past, and we heard a little bit about uh, the grave through the grave and what Danan and Skull Knight meant to each other. Like a missing component here is like Flora's memory or Flora's recollection of what happened, and we've already been introduced to uh, diamonds possibly being uh, another avenue into Flora's insight, and I wonder it would be. Proper if Shirke to ask Flora like what happened uh, if they if we get to that moment if they have that conversation if Flora could be the one to actually spell out a little bit about what she did could be yeah uh, I think she'll uh, she shed some light on it but probably not like a long explanation I would imagine she it's gonna be another tidbit I I don't think Mira is going to satisfy us and have like an info dump where we'll get everything at once I think it's gonna be a little bit here, a little bit there, and then like the main thing at some point, and then a little bit more, a little bit, you know, I, I think it's going to be scattered around. I'm, I'm officially giving up on info dump theorizing. Yeah, <laughs> like next time, it, next time it looks like Skull Knight's going to say something important, I was like, we're going to have a scene cut, we're going to have a scene cut <laughs> next <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> yeah, it's also to keep us uh, on the edge of our seats, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're in for the long haul, so I think Mira knows that he needs to keep us guessing and keep us, uh, you know, even after well, 30 years, thinking what's going to happen next. So it's good strategy. Well, it's also, it's like, it's it's not even completely, it's not just, uh, you know, delayed gratification, but he also gives you these unexpected wrinkles along the way, like what we got with Dan and in this episode, even like sort of the detail of... Uh, the flashback in the previous episode, those were not things I was necessarily, you know, those aren't things that we'd previously theorized or extrapolated. So maybe some of that obvious stuff about Skull Knight, you know, Mira even thinks, oh, why do I need to tell them that? Let's give them, you know, something let's new. Let's give them a girlfriend. Yeah, let's give yeah. Him, What about his girlfriend? You didn't know about her, did you? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good point because it shows that even now Mira is throwing us the occasional curveball. Yeah. Oh yeah, I Keeping always us guessing to yeah. not only meet my expectations, but go a different direction and surprise me. That's kind of been like the theme of reading Berserk episodically for as many years as we have is like, 
the fact that we can still be surprised, the fact that we yeah. don't see every punch coming, you know, because he does often take the series in different directions that or different wrinkles that we didn't expect. I yeah. mean, just this episode, honestly, the conversation we've had with Dannon, her being a potential like kind of like a natural parallel to Skull Knight. I think that's pretty incredible and not something I really thought about um, yeah. before. So yeah, pretty cool. And even, I mean, even stuff like Isma being able to befriend uh, a Kelpie. I mean, that's just minor and it's like whatever. But yeah, couldn't have predicted I it. I hope she rides that. Oh, the Kelpie. She said goodbye to the Kelpie. I was hoping she'd be riding it over to Serpico. They could saddle <laughs> up. She made some other friends. I'll, I'll, t- we'll I'll tell you later. what. I bet whenever something happens, uh, we'll see uh, Isma attacking with the Kelpie. And Serpico will see that and be like, oh, boy. You know, he'll have that little <laughs> bubble where it's like, you know, with a sweat drop on his it'll, uh, Yeah, I was going to say it'll have the sweat drop, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so... And, and you know, it's when you look at this scene and what it says up for Isidro and Isma, then you look at Casca when she folds the dummies and she was like, hey, I still got it. I'm rusty, you know, but uh, she's still good. And it's, again, you know, you see a continuation where it shows, okay, these guys, they can do this. She can do this. Maybe next episode we'll see Serpico, you know, training for one panel doing something. And then when you put them all together, it... You know, it creates a backdrop for something. It to, adds up. Yeah, and something yeah. to happen, and then they can all rise up, and, and uh, you know, and figure it out. So, yeah, I, I think it. Uh, I, I like to to point these little things out because sometimes you see people in threads or whatever. So like, uh, but uh, yeah, when you pay attention, <laughs> it's Mira setting things up in order to achieve a specific result. Well, it's it's tough to keep a satellite view when you get an episode every three or two to eight months uh, to, to realize that True. it's all part of one big tapestry. Um, True. But as people have said, as newer fans have come along, I, I've seen the impressions be like, what was the big deal with the uh, Sea God section? I don't know why people were quite up in arms about <laughs> that. Well, it's because for some of us, it was spread across, you know, several years. Ten years. Yeah, three or four volumes. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, it was also the unexpected when it first comes can be, you know, an unwelcome, you know, guest where it's like, oh, I didn't want to see this. I want to see the thing I'm already interested in. But then by the end, you're interested in the new thing. So yeah, that's yeah. just how it works. I actually love the Sigurd uh, part of the story. I think it's really great. And especially because it's a Lovecraft uh, homage. Well, yeah, sure. you know, everything that isn't is like guts fighting Griffith is like, oh, this is a you know a waste of time. You know, it's like no, you know, that's <laughs> not how it works. I don't care about this duel with Griffith. <laughs> I want to get to the other thing. Oh yeah, what about after that? What about when they he reunites with the the Falcons? You know, guts. You know, in heaven. It's like what? <laughs> uh, you know, it reminds me of um, back in the day, people who had seen the first anime adaptation of Berserk and who are like. Uh, I prefer the version where they remove all the supernatural stuff. Where, <laughs> yeah, all the, oh, yeah, take all the supernatural elements yeah. out of Berserk. And it's we don't superior. I like Berserk better when it's not Berserk. Yeah, guys. pretty much. When, oh, I don't like Silat all that much. Oh, the backyard, I don't care. Wild, I don't care. I don't care. Basically, you don't care about anything, you know? You just well, in, 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 like, like in 10 volumes, you'll oh, be yeah. saying how you prefer them to the new characters that are introduced. You know, it's like, I like Silat better <laughs> than these new characters. Funny random th- thought before we uh, finish the episode, but when you know all the you know showing the uh, the vortex at the beginning and talking about an eclipse ceremony, and as your theory that like when a skull knight dies, 
sort of prematurely from when we might have thought. It made me think of Griffith's death at the end. If Skull Knight's already been long, you know, dead, if Griffith, you know, assuming that, you know, they haven't upended the total balance of power in the universe, if he was, like, to be going into the vortex and Skull Knight was waiting for him there, you know, sort of the last thing he sees... It's just I, a cool, you it know, should be uh, Judo, Pippin, and Carcass. Well, no, I was going to say, they would be, like, you know, sort of carrying him. Like, you know, it would be all the Falcons, you know, carrying him in, and Skull Knight's just waiting at the end. I mean, we saw how Vargas looked, right? When yeah. When he got eaten by the Vortex, and it was only been, like, a day. Well, so, like, it, we're talking several years. Right. <laughs> well, you mentioned like uh, the, the bottom of a KFC bucket. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's bad. That's real bad. Yeah. He's greasy. He wasn't the prettiest before that. Must be yeah, yeah, it kind of matched. Not Vargas. He'd already uh, he gotten some his um, grossness. Huh. plastic surgery from the Count, you know, medieval style. Yeah, yeah a little rearrangement. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, when you mentioned, uh, like, the Falcons in that scenario, I don't even imagine, they wouldn't be like, I feel like they wouldn't be, like, haunting him, it would almost be like there is, like, pallbearers or something, <laughs> you know, almost dutifully oh, taking him. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm, ugh, Ganon is, is going to be waiting for him. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That, that is a callback we don't need. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm hanging up. Ganon's going to stab Griffith in the eye. <laughs> well, do we want to... We need to get to the boy here, though. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the implication. Um, <laughs> the boy appears. So here we go. Uh, you know, it's not like did we talk? Wasn't. Did we talk about the the karma fire line before that? We we went we 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 scooted right on past it because we kind of talked about it earlier. I'm happy to talk about those pages. I like this little scene. So yeah, uh, after the Shirke thinks about why was Flora expelled, and that we transfer over to Guts, who's thinking about a scene that he had with Ged after they were leaving. They went in different directions after the gravesite, and uh, Azil, you were. You have the closest association with the translation so far, so you could kind of summarize that for us. Uh, yeah, well, so Guts, um, how to say, Ged asks Guts if he's acquainted with the Skull Knight, if they know each other, and Guts is like, eh, not really, but I, I owe him a, some, I, I also some debts to him, but he's just, you know, he just appears, you know, abruptly tossing some words I can't understand well. Uh, and he's basically complaining, lightly complaining about the Skull Knight. And God explains like, that this he, guy's not a good friend. <laughs> this guy's not yeah, a good buddy. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's not so. It shouldn't be mis- misconstrued that Guts doesn't like him. It has no enmity right. between them. But it's just. I mean, Guts in general is a pretty. They don't. Group. They don't go out for beers together or anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's sort of what he's well, saying. Well, the thing. You know what it reminds me of is um is Judo and Guts in the bar in Volume Eight. When he's asking him about Casca, so what do you think about Casca? Oh, uh, <laughs> she's a good, comp- someone good to have behind you in a fight. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. not what I meant. Your true feelings. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Guts. Guts is just like that. He's a vulgar, straightforward guy. Doesn't show his emotion much. I mean, he's basically a nineties, nineteen eighties action hero. You know, silent guy. Grumpy. He looks like Stallone at the bottom of that page, actually. <laughs> oh, really? So, um, what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> there was the Ged's asking about the nature. Are they friends? And Guts is basically saying, ah, he just says some cryptic shit and then he bolts. We're not really, but I do owe him, you know, for saving my life. A yeah, times. and Ged, Ged uh, explains that he. 
like what we already know, he doesn't exist in this world. He doesn't seek like humans because he himself has been something else for so long. He only has that very deep grace and grudge and endless rage that makes him, you know, move. And so is that something, as uh, Skonlight also references, uh, grace and grudge, that's very difficult to translate. These two words, they are opposite words that mean one is a very positive thing, so it's like grace, gra- gratitude, benevolence, and the other one is a grudge, resentment. And I think that's a reference to the way he died uh, and wh- what he felt at the moment of death. So it also... Do you think it's... Is it kind of like an equivalent of like a holy war kind of thing where it's like a... It's a... Uh, what's the word? Um, like a... Yeah, holy war, basically. Like it's a grudge that he has... And the grudge itself is so epic that it has become like esteemed, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I took it as being like sort of the you know how Skull Knight. I mean, we discussed the way he speaks earlier that he's sort of this you know so poetic in his words and everything that he's both this like larger than life benevolent kind of figure who helps guts, but he's also driven by hatred and rage. It's sort of like the two extremes. He's not someone that like has a casual mode yeah. it's like these you know <laughs> all or nothing guys. yeah he's yeah. either a paragon or he's you know sort of like a demon you know in battle you know so it's like it's something like that but yeah that's a, i didn't think of it in terms of being like both you know two sides of like sort of a holy war but that's cool that's pretty cool yeah I, I don't i don't know about the holy war thing i i think what it implies is that uh He's got, like, like you mentioned earlier, he's got only extreme emotions left. He's, he's got, you know, it's like the way guts, you know, he always sees the last sight of his right eye. You know, he's always got it burned into his brain. Uh, you know, Casca being raped by Femtos, that kind of thing. It's, it haunts him. I think it's the same kind of thing where the only thing he feels is that endless grudge against them and that maybe thankfulness or deep sorrow or regret for what he's lost, what he had and what he lost. And, and of course, and something new that we didn't know before is the endless rage aspect. Because, you know, the Skull Knight, the way he talks, the way he moves, he's not, he's not berserk. He's not guts, you know. He's, yeah. not like the, he, he he's more cold. Yeah, he doesn't grit his teeth and just, you know, ah! He's not like that. <laughs> so to have that, uh, you know, Ged mentions that endless rage aspect was very interesting to me because, it, of course, it also uh, ties him more to guts, makes him related in that in that aspect, and shows that yeah, his his death must have been uh, ignoble, you know, pretty horrible. So um, yeah. Anyway, they move on. They say you know that must be why he's in uh, his his bond to him and his his sticks are on him. Because he sees his former self in him, and, and then um, Ged warns Gus about the armor because Gus says, "I don't want to be told to do what to do by a guy who I don't even know if he's alive or if he's croaked." <laughs> you know, and he <laughs> if he's croaked, he, use, yeah, he, he uses a, a very uh, Virga word for for death. Which well, is, that's the funny thing about their connection is that Skull Knight, you know, yeah, he's full of endless rage, but he also stands on formality with the way he talks. You know, with everything and guts yeah. is the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and so Ged tells him that's why he should decide what he wants his anger to be, whether it's a, a breath of life that is blown into his body, or karma fires that burns him off. 
Um, and, and that's something which Flora told him already about in volume 24, you know, about the fact uh, his anger managed him to keep lifting his sword, to keep him alive, keeping protecting Casca, but there was a risk that he would be consumed by karma fire um, and that would mean his end. And, and obviously that's related to the Beast of Darkness and that, that thing knowing at him uh, he's had for so long. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And it even, you know, back in the day when Berserk was uh, serialized in Young Animal, they had this uh, little tagline in English, uh, which was, uh, I forgot, why has he got burned with revengeful thought? Which That's is, it. Which is not great, but... <laughs> but it's interesting because for for several years they had that as a tagline uh, for the golden age, you know, explaining why Gus is like that and that whole burning aspect, you know, the burning rage, getting getting scorched and burned by you, your hatred. Uh, it's still present as a theme uh, in what Gus says. Yeah, it's nice to get karmic fire. Uh, back in the, the saddle, but yeah, it's been a constant threat, right? And the beast is a manifestation of that, basically, of, a, of his past coming to haunt him and his life being fueled by rage and anger. And yeah, it's basically saying, which path are you going to take? Are you going to become consumed by this anger and let it basically <laughs> destroy your existence or purify your existence to one of rage, which is what Skull Knight is? Or will it, will it continue to be basically a crutch that props you up, which is kind of how Flora characterizes it in volume 24? Yep. Exactly. So again, you know, when you look at that, to go back to what we said earlier, the the Berserk armor, uh, a theme, you know, Skull Knight's death, his regret, uh, the fact he just was warned, but he stubborn didn't take it into account, that menace of uh, you know karmic fire, you put all of that, you know, it starts making a motif. And, uh, and I think it all points in a direction where there's going to be one last close call, uh, which forces Guts to, to change the way he's handling the armor. Yeah, and hmm, I wonder, though, I wonder what it's going to be that he'll be able to make a choice. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to put that, slot that into my head about how that will actually play out. This is the guy who, when, like, when the chips were down, he's like, yeah, give me that armor. Put that on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy that's going to. Well, reach I mean, for the... you almost—I mean, would it be as significant as him killing somebody that he doesn't mean to? <laughs> yeah, I guess like what's gonna what's gonna click in Guts' brain to make him change his ways? I don't know because the path he's on right now, I don't see how it would change. With, I guess Casca and the boy are the thing. Yeah, right? that's the the yeah. thing—the unplayed card so far. It's got to be. It's got to be Casca and the boy, and that brings us back to the boy, of course. I do yeah. think, so I think the boy came to the island to help his parents like he always does. It's interesting that this time he came to Guts first. He, since, uh, Femto has been incarnated, the boy has always came, come to, to, uh, to Casca first. And this time he comes to Guts. And, uh, I, I do think he's going to find a way to help them, you know, get back together, make, you know, make Casca surmount her problems. But at the same time, I also wonder if you won't be uh, helping Guts avoid uh, catastrophe, like killing Casca or something like that, or doing As something he with the armor. Has previously. Yeah, I mean, he's helped twice with the armor, uh, you know, on the beach and uh, on the solitary island. And each time, Shirke couldn't help. He was pretty, uh, you know, hopeless. And then the boy saved the day. So 
would make sense for, for it to happen once more, maybe the last time. Mm. I like before the boy appears, they managed to get a Griffith uh, flash in there. Yeah. Unrelated, just, but of course, you know... Just we can, in case you forgot. Yeah. You know, it's uh, obviously it's appropriate for Guts to be thinking of it in the context of, you know, uh, there's nothing to do on this island, and then he remembers, you know, what he's got going on off the island. Yeah. And then, of course, the boy shows up, so... Yeah, it's I guess for Guts, it's a reminder that, you know, before he came to the island, before he started his quest to help Casca, this was this was his prime objective. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I like that it's a shot of... Uh, when they left on the, on the ship, you know, and uh, he was yeah, on the, the last time the, you saw him. Yeah, on the rowboat, and Griffiths was staying on the cliff. That's uh, that's pretty cool. And yeah, even his reaction was like, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, I can't make sound effects Spoiling very well. his mood. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. Anyway, yeah, I see. I think. What do you guys think the boy is going to do? The boy seems to be facing Casca. Uh, Casca in the window, right? Is so, he just walking past Guts? <laughs> basically. Dad, you're oh, in the way. Man, oh, hey, Dad, so, you're here, too. That'd be so terrible. He just walks right past. <laughs> that would actually be hey, amazing. hey, boy. <laughs> like when he walks by. <laughs> that would actually be amazing. I didn't even consider that, but if the boy just walks past him, damn, man, that's cold. That's ice cold. <laughs> we know the boy cares about Guts. Just, I think he's wary of, uh, for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. Of his mean old dad. Well, I think, you know, it's funny. Um, that one episode where he was crawling all over him. Yeah. yeah that I was uh, because he was like, he's scared of him, like... but he's fascinated by him, of course. Yeah. I, I didn't interpret it as being scared of him, but more like, I'm not going to bother with him. He's He's got his own stuff going on. I'm going to hang out with well, him. Well, I mean, not scared in the sense of like, you know, like you're not really like you're not necessarily like afraid of your father, but like he's in his room busy and you don't want like you're, <laughs> kind of like what you're saying, basically, where you're afraid of disturbing them, but you're fascinated. Oh, I, I, I think I think in the, the first time he shows up on the bitch. I think he's a uh, yeah he's wary of Gus. He's a bit apprehensive, and then yeah. he warms up to him in the cabin. He does stuff, and the next time he sees him, well, even though Gus is controlled by the armor and whatever, the boy is less apprehensive, and, and you know, and that's also why when he goes to you know the sea the sea god and he's drowning in the blood, the boy comes and guides him and, and takes him out. So I think. Those episodes were also the beginning of a reconciliation. You know, I don't know if you guys remember we're on the cabin uh, when they're all sleeping together. Guts is sinking back to to his son. You know, the demon yeah. child. He's like, yeah. I wonder where he is. If he's still roaming the night. So I think all that has been the beginning of a reconciliation because during the Black Souls Monarch, I mean, Guts is pretty brutal with him. You know, he just yeah. basically treats treats him like a monster. So. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I wonder. I think it, it's going to be very, very interesting. Whatever. So in a way, mentally, it's the same child, sort of being like, "Well, can I hang out with my dad now?" or that sort of thing. Or yeah, and I, I wonder, like, will he talk? Will he just speak telepathically, or is he going to actually speak? I mean, yeah, he we he has communicated, but it's always been telepathic. Yeah. Mm. And he's still so he he looks very young still. I mean, it's hard to tell. What age? Maybe four. It's, yeah, uh, it doesn't seem much different. Maybe a little older than the very first time. It's kind of hard to say. Yeah, it seems to be about the same to me. But yeah, uh, yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure. Not a lot of time has passed since we saw him first on the beach. Mm. Not, it's not, not a significant amount of time. 
Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was like 10 years ago. Oh, you mean in this story. Never mind. <laughs> Just for us. Time flows differently. Yeah, time flows time, differently. Time flows differently in our world than Berserk. Uh, well, the, the boy arrives, but beyond this, there's a lot to talk about in 364, basically, which is most of what you could say about why the boy is here at this moment. What's going to happen? Is, is it, will, will it be a scene with Guts and the boy? Or will it be a scene with Casca, the boy, and Guts? Uh my head keeps going to how when Guts is in trouble, uh, often it's dad versus mom, boy intervenes, saves the day. Um, right now, Casca is the one that actually has uh, trauma or st- struggling because when she's in the presence of Guts, she has a breakdown. I wonder if that's what the boy can help remedy immediately is if he can, in a way, kind of like circumvent those that, that bad yeah, vision like, does he- and help her see – does he sense even that. that distress? Probably. I would imagine so. So the thing is... You know, uh, the question is, why is he here now at this moment? Usually it precedes like a, a ter- terrible thing about to happen. Usually. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, or you, yeah, he's usually there before a terrible thing and then he saves the day. I'm hoping that they will have a moment between him and Guts. I mean, Guts obviously has to say something to him. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be uh, weird I, if he didn't. Yeah, I he's saw- not just going to watch him walk away or... Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be both where he helps, he starts the uh, beginning of repairing the relationship between Casca and Guts, and then uh, shit happens and he has to save the day, uh, specifically take Guts out of the armor or something like that. Or maybe even something bigger, like show off the true extent of his power, which would then cause others to be like, huh, who's this guy? What is he doing? But uh, yeah, what what I makes me wonder is... Uh, you know when you see when you see that shot of uh, when Casca sees guts uh, <laughs> after training and he's covered in darkness, you know you could think like, "Yeah, well maybe the boy can dispel that, try to dispel mm-hmm. that image in her mind," but it feels like it's already what he's doing with the basic armor, but it's because he's removing the art of the armor from right. controlling guts' mind. So it's it's kind of different here. He's dealing with trauma. She's having like panic attacks because of her memories. So I'm not quite sure of how he's well, going to be able to fix it. Well, I was thinking about it because the last time, you know, speaking of that scene where he's crawling over them and then he falls and it forces Casca and Guts to both catch him and they kind of embrace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone very, you know, obviously was, oh, look, they're like a family, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's like, and maybe in a very, or you know, natural, non-magical way, he can kind of give her peace, you know? And make her comfortable with guts in the room. I mean, that is a possibility. I, I don't want it to be where like he has to be with them for, for them to be normal, but maybe that can at least uh, start something. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what would be really helpful is if Guts just lost the armor for a little Yeah. Bit. Yeah. Because like, take it off, man. So oh, many man. occasions of Guts without his armor from their days in the take Falcons. A, take a bath, see him, dude. You know, like at the bonfire dreams and the hollow of the tree <laughs> uh, by the waterfall. In the encampment after the escape, there's so many little moments where they were together, you know, and the armor, t- the berserk armor kind of like is a foreboding uh, thing to have in that scene. He's yeah. trying to remember. Yeah, it's well, like it's he's also, scared. It's like he's keeping it on in case something happens. I know. I'm with Griff. He needs to take it off and take a bath or something. Well, no, it's like, it's like you're, you're already saying oh, there's nothing to do on this island, but, you know, practice. And I was like, well, okay, we'll take the armor <laughs> off for a yeah. minute, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, Zeal, you were the first one to say it. Like, we, you and I were talking about 
this episode before it came out. And wow, it'd be great if Hanar's like, hey, loan me the armor for a little bit and I'll see what I can do. Yeah. And then Guts has to be without it for a little bit, which makes it easier for he and Casca. That would be great. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, even before that, uh, when we first uh, saw, I think it's at the end of uh, 358, uh, that she sees him covered in monsters, apostles, whatever. The first thing that sprung to my mind at the time is like, it's a black swordsman persona that's causing her this reaction. Uh, of course, you know, when she thinks she, she mentions judo, she has flashbacks of the eclipse, but I feel like, and it's something we have done before, uh, you know, when you see, uh, when Gus first returns to uh, Gozo's place uh, in volume 17, and Erika, she sees that dark shadow with the eye, you know, the black swordsman eye, she's like, wow. And then she sees its guts and she's, her face changes from apprehension to happiness, joy of seeing him. And I feel like that Black Soulsman thing, uh, it's, a, it's a way to reflect on it. Just like Guts, you know, when he falls down in the sea and he says, you know, I replace my, you know, cut off arm with this, you know, artificial arm, but it's not something, it, it, it's not an actual replacement. It's just a tool I use to crush things. But, it's not something it can use to hold on to what he loves. Yeah, exactly. Very, very poetic. Thank you. And, and and so it's the same thing here. I feel like remove this thing, let go of your sword, try to be, you know, just be a normal guy. That's going to help. That's going to help versus being, you know, dressed in black and looking surly. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Take off so, the Batman costume for a minute. <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty much. So I, I do think it would be cool if the boy was like, well, remove this shell and uh, let's try it and, and do something. Well, yeah, because it's like, you know, if if she sees him in this different context, you know, the boy's like, come on, I mean, I'm the ultimate wingman. I'm better than a puppy here. Get that, <laughs> get that dumb armor off. You're going to look like Mr. Mom here, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to totally change yeah. things. Trust me. He's going to get yeah, the we'll makeover. Get you all up. We'll get you, get you shaved. Oh, wait, you never shave. <laughs> Have his hair combed down. <laughs> the other cool thing to think about in this next episode is like, will Casca detect the boy? And how will that happen? Um, yeah. We've talked about this a lot since Casca came back. You know, that is a weird thing is before it's easy to depict someone that's not in their right mind having sort of otherworldly abilities. But how will that translate to her consciously where she's yep. like, what? what's this feeling? <laughs> right. Is she going to intuit that the boy is nearby and be drawn to him that sort of thing like before she was cool unencumbered way. by rationality and now it's like she's gonna be like whoa <laughs> yeah what's going well, we've, on we've talked about it before i mean we've pegged it as it's a maternal instinct in addition to the perception of the brand so she can it has like a signature and she knows it as the mom hmm. that it's it's two things combined that allow her to detect that's my boy that's not just a, a ghost nearby hmm. and that's my boy I wonder if that perception will still exist. That's or if it's even it's is it even a conscious thought or is it just is it just the power of feeling where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but now it's now it has to be translated into some sort of conscious thought. I, I think we And will she, will she be the, the one to reveal it? Yeah, I think we we're going to see her feeling something, being like what's yeah. what's this? What's this sensation? And then without quite understanding, she tr- she'll go out and try to find him. And, and you know, and then she might see him and guts, and <laughs> I don't know. Oh God! Be like, get away yeah. from him! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from there. It's oh, hard I'm, to or or her heart will happen. melt. You know, <laughs> let's let's hope for that. But yeah, probably the get away from him. If it's yeah, for, if it's thing. guts like if related, it's, it's going to be bad. <laughs> if it's if it's the boy in the middle and Casca and guts on either side, it's it's not going to be a great from her perspective. You know. 
because the boy being near guts, she's going to have to find a way over that hump. Well, uh, yeah, I think it could actually be like that's a great scene you just described. The, the her on one side, the boy in the middle, guts on the other, and then both of them slowly walking towards him and meeting in the middle. You know that kind of thing. That could be a way for Mura to uh, visually depicts uh, her getting over her fear of, uh, I mean, her traumatic memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe in his presence, the boy can, you know, make her see the old guts. And for a moment, they can talk. Yeah. That'd be nice. But I mean, hopefully he'll be able to leave some of that fairy dust behind even when he has to go. It'd be a real pain if it's like, well, the boy always has to be in the room. (laughs) Well, I think think talking, period, will be a step forward for them. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, will it, will Casca know who the boy is immediately? Because that's that's I get kind of fuzzy about what mm. she perceives concretely as Elaine. There are certain memories she remembered very vividly that when she Casca was not in the driver's seat of her own consciousness, she was in the back, and Elaine was the driver's seat, right? But what? How will she process that with the boy? Will she process Elaine's feelings for the boy as maternal instinct? Will she know it's her child? Or will she have to rediscover that? It's interesting to think of Elaine's advantages over, you know, Casca as she is now in that, like, you know, sort of like the way a, a person who's mad can be more in tune with, you know, spirit, you know, in the berserk world with the spirits and things like that. And if Casca will almost be a little hindered by that, like you're saying, she won't recognize things that maybe Elaine understood more intuitively. Mm. I think we might get. Like the feelings, the sensation in her brand will bring back memories. You know, she'll be remembering slowly, uh, little by little, then it will dawn on her. I think the big, uh, the big question is whether, you know, once she understands who he is and she remembers his previous uh, shape and stuff, she's going to think back to the, the rape by Femto, which is what provoked his early birth and his corruption. And because, you know, that's like uh, to, to go back to uh, the episode title during her, her dreams, that's the main culprit. Like all of her trauma comes, I mean, the, the biggest part is, is that part is when she was, she was raped. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Is, is it going to be addressed? Will it be tied necessarily to the boy? Uh, will Mira keep it for later on? That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, big, uh, a big piece. Will Shirke show up and go, hey, that's the boy with the really weird ode. What's going, you know, what's going yeah. on here? And Ged will be like, whoa, that is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mind tends to not grapple with the um, how will she confront the rape in the presence of the boy because the boy is the trigger for the rape. Because I don't know where you go from there. I don't know how you resolve that scene. Yeah. Uh, in a, and it's, it's a messy, it's messy, right? Like it's yeah. two completely yeah. competing motivations for her kind of colliding in one. So I just don't know. How, I don't know the easy exit there or solution there. Yeah, I think there's a, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I'm not sure who it's gonna be, going to be. Is, oh, Isidro is uh, doing his monkey attack again. Let's go. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go away. Grave site. Yeah. That's a lot simpler. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all I had. Wow, I just hit it all at once. I was scrolling through my notes. Um, I, most of my notes were about Guts and Skull Knight and uh, Danon. So, you know, we didn't say much. It was um, Star Wars. Um, oh, there's a lot of, yeah, we didn't talk about Jar Jar Binks' introduction into Berserk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very momentous I'll tell occasion. You, to me, the funniest part was Puck saying unlimited power as the. As the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Only because I was, uh, me and Azil saw episode three together when I was visiting pa- in Paris. And like when that <laughs> happened on screen in episode three, Azil and I were both just like cracking up in the theaters because it was just such an over the top ridiculous. It's the best part of the movie. That movie is so funny. Clearly, Mira thought it was funny too. Otherwise, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. put that line in there. Actually, so it's funny because the whole thing with. Uh, Puck has uh, appeared as Yoda, as kind of the master of Isidro a few times. And it's funny because if you remember, he's done the whole elf dimension style school of fighting with Isidro. For, I mean, it's been years now for us. It's been like 20 years. And so now it's kind of, <laughs> it's finally paying off. You know, he's got the dimensional style down. <laughs> and, uh, and, be, and because he's doing, you know, naughty things. Uh, Puck goes like, oh, you know, you're, you've gone to the dark side. So you, you get that little aspect with the Star Wars stuff. And then you got you get uh, Puck, who's like <laughs> the, who's the wacky uh, slash uh, stupid, uh, you know, uh, member of the family. And while the other are doing the Stormtroopers, he's doing uh, Jar Jar Binks, which is like, you know, what? <laughs> Did you also and- notice that the Stormtroopers, like the little signs on their head look like little 66s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was that he was making it obscured from an exact stormtrooper to oh, avoid to make litigation. It, well, I mean, it's like, it could be a lot of, like, oh, they maybe. look kind of like the modern stormtroopers because of the weird shapes of their heads. Oh, oh. But also, they have that little thing that, that could just be anything, but it's also, it looks very much like a 66. So, it's like, this is hmm. very Star Wars nerdy stuff <laughs> Mura is dabbling in it's here. A- <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's, so gone, he's gone full prequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which he didn't like at the time, by the way. When the episode one came out, he was like, yeah, Jar Jar Binks uh, is not it's cool. It's revisionist history. It's not the worst <laughs> Star Wars well, we've anymore. All, we've all had time to come to terms with it. I, for one, am looking forward to the last episode of Berserk when, when everyone's celebrating Griffith's been defeated and little Jar Jar Binks elf comes out. <laughs> we are free! Yeah, they, they hold up uh, some glowing power orb that has nothing to do with anything, and they're like, what? <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> Phantom yeah. Menace, if anyone remembers. Uh, anyways, uh, Never forget. the Jar Jar thing, it's, uh, I think it's funny. I even thought, you know, because obviously it ties to the Kelpie appearance at the end, who saves the day. Yeah, the tongue thing. Yeah, because they are boss uh, frog-related uh, creatures. And, um, and I was like, did Mura, like, did he... You know, come up with the monkey thing as a Kelpie and was like, hey, Kelpie, frog. All right, I'm going to put Jar Jar in there, you know? Yeah. I was thinking, like, did he walk backwards to that thing? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Funny. I can see it, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, it's also, not, yeah. he's he's playing around with the idea of, like, this is not a beloved character, but it's funny to <laughs> yeah. see, to bring him around, like, almost teasing, you know, the audience. And he's got that... Shit-eating grin with when uh, Isidro's making the super ugly Adon face, sort yeah. of playing yeah. that up. It's that, it's, it's definitely yeah. in the know yeah. when Mira makes Jar Jar. Like he knows the perception of. I mean, that's kind of why it's funny, right? <laughs> yeah, like playing a yeah, yeah, and it's why he's uh, like uh, Puck is um, introduced as being a moron from the beginning. Like when mm-hmm. all the other are doing like their cool pose. Uh, he's messing it up, everything. So yeah, it also <laughs> makes sense that he's uh, he's messing up here as well. <laughs> I don't have much else to say on this episode. Um, I guess we'll be back in possibly April if that three month mm, idea uh, proves to be true. Why not be Feb- April? Why not February? That'd be great. I'm not. I'm not going to turn down February. <laughs> it's just always better to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. 
In any case, uh, the next up for our podcast will probably be Volume 24 Reread. We'll be kicking that off in a few weeks. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, unless we get surprised by 364 in the next few weeks, which I don't think so, but maybe. Until then, thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Skullcast is a production of Skullnight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com slash sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Puela, who ensures that our members have access to high-quality, text-based translations of Berserk. Puela has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.